What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emma Ruschuk. I'm here with special guest and author, Joe Templin. Welcome. Um, thank you for bringing me on. I'm looking forward to this. So you have a little bit going on. You're an author. You do podcasts. You do a little bit of everything according to your website. And it's called Everyday Excellence. So yes. Which... What led you into this and what came first? So... The website is basically a vehicle to help deliver the book and supplemental material around that. So all the podcasts that I'm on with wonderful people like you can live there. And I put up five different micro blogs per week so that people can get additional extra little hits. But uh, Everyday Excellence is really derived from my growth and development as a person. And one of my friends asked me how long it took me to write the book. And I joked that it took me 40 years. And then it took me 40 seconds to have the idea behind <laughs> it. So I understand as an author, I completely get it. So literally, I was downstairs. And I'm working from my home office right now. So that's why you, know, you don't see all the cool medals and stuff. But I was downstairs. I was listening to some Black Sabbath. I had Jocko Willink playing something thrown around a kettlebell and all of a sudden it hit me like a lightning bolt. I'm like, ah, excellence is a habit. Habits need to be done every day, everyday excellence. And then I knew the structure of the book, ran upstairs and uh, basically brain dumped for about five minutes to get out of my head, went back downstairs, finished my workout. And then I actually started the fun part of writing the book. Isn't that always the funnest part in the writing thing is actually getting the words from your head to the paper? Yes. And part of it was uh, the structure of the book is every single day starts with a quote from somebody, whether it's Albert Einstein or Jimi Hendrix or Rosa Parks. And then there's discussion around it. And then the last step is an action item because that way we can translate it from being theoretical and all up here to actually doing things to change your life and the life of others. But the fun, the most fun part of this was actually researching quotes because I had certain uh, quotes or ideas that I wanted on certain days. Like on Valentine's Day, I wanted something about love. On Star Wars Day, May the 4th, I wanted the quote by Yoda. Uh, so on Halloween, I wanted something fun there. International talk like a pirate day. I needed a pirate quote, obviously. Mm -hmm. So then building that out around it, that's where a lot of the most fun part of this was. Right. But okay, people don't understand. There's millions of quotes out in the cyberspace. 
Some yep. of them are really cool from people that we know, and some of them are from fictional characters, and some of them are people we don't actually think about. But at the same time, when all you of them. them, I used they, all of them. Yeah, they're there. They're fun. They're actually meaningful if you read them and actually think about it. Right. And so the discussion around it is actually meant to unlock not just some of the ideas in the quote, but to help individuals. I call the book a multivitamin for life because we have all these different dimensions in our life, whether it's our physical health, our mental health, our occupation, our relationships, um, communication. So each day is sort of like a visit with the Oracle of Delphi because there is some information and some insight, but the reader is going to take away what they need and they're looking for that particular day. Mm -hmm. And one of the nice things, uh, one of the ways that I designed the book was that at the end of the year, you just recycle through it. Because as the old Stoic saying goes, a person can't walk through the same river twice because the person is different and the river is different. Correct. So if you go back through and read the book again the next year, you're looking at it with new eyes because you have hopefully grown and developed and gone through human Kaizen, continuous improvement. And so when you get to the same page the next year, you've got a much higher level that you're operating off of on multiple levels. See, that's a perfect way to do a book because anything, if you're trying to change yourself, A, you need a tool or a guide to do, figure out the change that you need. Okay. Then you have to look back on the changes you made through progress. Doesn't matter if it's a year, five years, six years, 10 years. You have to look back on how far you got from where you came from. Right, because everyone's looking at the mountaintop still, oh, it's so far away. And they're not looking how far they have gone on the journey. And too often, especially in our social media world that we're living in, mm -hmm. people are comparing themselves to this Instagrammer who's five or 10 years ahead of them on whatever particular journey, whether mm -hmm. it's health or education or beauty or wealth accumulation or whatever. So they're comparing themselves with somebody 10 years down the road who also took like 200 pictures to get the one good one. Mm -hmm. So they're comparing their worst against this other individual's absolute best instead of what Ernest Hemingway was saying about that the only person you should be comparing yourself with is you of yesterday. Exactly. It's a mind, we start this in elementary school, this mindset, we have to be better than put your van there. Doesn't matter if it's the jock in the football team, the straight A student, the person that can spell better than you, whoever it is. We start this in elementary school and then we carry on and get into clicks. And this has gotten so out of hand with social media that we want to be better than the person that's Elon Musk. Yeah. And so, I remember uh, Jordan Pearson was talking about this. Uh, he was talking with this individual who was comparing themselves to their college roommate mm -hmm. and saying, oh, I'm not, I'm doing so poorly. And the guy's college roommate was Elon Musk. And it's like, you're comparing yourself to the richest man on earth who, you know, is just completely insane, doesn't sleep, you know, mm -hmm. and you compare it to a normal human being or to yourself. 
And what you were saying about this comparison starts when we get to elementary school. For a lot of us, it begins even earlier. I've got an Irish twin. My older brother is 11 and a half months older than I am. So I was comparing myself against him from the moment of consciousness, basically. Because I mean, he could crawl, I couldn't. So I needed to learn to crawl. He could walk, I couldn't. So I had to do that. You know, he was able to, you know, do whatever. So I had to beat my brother. And even now, almost 50 years later, I'm still trying to beat my brother all the time. Second son syndrome. (laughs) Well, any sibling has this. My mom is has an Irish twin, so to speak. It's, she has an older brother that's 11 months, 11 and a half months older. So I get it. We get the sibling thing. We get the comparing to anyone. We have to step back. And a lot of mindset coaches, a lot of self-help coaches, a lot of people in the psychiatric field go, you have to be better than yourself because we got this from Hemingway. You have to be better than yourself. You can't be better than someone else. No. And this is actually one area where martial arts helped me tremendously Mm -hmm. because, you know, yeah, there's belt ranks and all that in competitions. You're actually competing directly against somebody else, but it's the entire process of preparing for those competitions and ranking up is where you are trying to be better than what you were the day before. Mm -hmm. And Having that sort of mindset, I mean, literally, I'd win a title and the next morning I'd be training again. Mm -hmm. And like most of my uh, trophies, I don't even know where they are because it doesn't matter because I I wear my black belt on my soul, not on my waist. And having this next goal, even though if it's not really a a goal, like I'm going to win an Olympic gold medal or this or that, but having this next thing that you're working toward helps prevent the postpartum depression that people have after a big race or they get the promotion or what have you. So have it, that's one of the things that I talk with some of my other friends who are writers and they are all working on multiple books also mm-hmm. so that, you know, they finish one book and they start the editing process, which is much harder than writing actually, in my opinion. Yes. And, but they're already writing this other thing so there is no time for that letdown and they're just continuously in the process of what they really enjoy of creating. Right, you have to find, first you have to find your passion. Once you find your passion, doesn't matter if it's writing, we're both authors here, so I get the writing okay. and the creativity, but you have to find your passion. When you find your passion, then you don't have this negative drawback every time you get to the next rung of that ladder. No. And so I went to engineering school and almost all my friends are engineers or scientists from that part of my life. And they literally get done with work and they go home and they're working on an engineering project on their own, whether it's, uh, you know, working in the shop to build a, a better tool for themselves, or they are reconstructing a, uh, an engine or some old car or something like that. So they're continuously playing in this space Mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem nearly as much like work to them. And it allows them to have that continuous growth towards mastery of something. Correct. It's, are you actually happy in your job or are you at the job because it's the paycheck? 
Are you happy in your life, in your surrounding, in your house, in your relationship? Or are you just there because you're there? Right. And there's always going to be crap in the world. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just the way it is. No job is perfect all the time. Mm -mm. But if there's enough elements of it and it is intellectually stimulating, it is a good group of individuals. So there's a, a, the same sort of mindset of growth mindset within that space or the right culture overall. If there's sufficient of that, then it allows them to be able to adopt really that growth mentality that Dweck talks about. And people can then have long range fulfillment, even if they're not happy in every single moment. Exactly. I can tell you as a CEO, I'm not always happy with my job. It's my company. <laughs> it's my and you're company. like, damn, my boss sucks. And you <laughs> look in the mirror and you're like, what are you doing? Exactly. So it's, it happens regardless if you love your job, if you created your job, or if you're working for someone else. At the same time, you have to be better than you were yesterday. Mm -hmm. And for the people who can get into that groove, essentially, mm -hmm. the sky's the limit. I mean, they really, they avoid burnout at work. Mm -hmm. They, um, if they're, they have that in their relationships or what they're doing outside of the work realm, they actually have a much more sustainable existence in a lot of ways. Exactly. And, you know, they tend to be happier and healthier in a lot of capacities because their body's producing a lot less cortisol, which ages the body tremendously. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Have you ever met a person that is down on the lot, probably lives in what we call the projects, and are the, is the happiest person when you talk to them. They yeah. don't care where they live. They don't care that where they're working. They're just happy. Yeah. And then you have these people that live in these million-dollar houses that are just so grouchy. Miserable. Yeah, completely. There's no other way to describe it. They're absolutely miserable. So it's all in mindset. It's not in how much money you have, what job you have, or what career path you chose, or how long it's taken you to get to that career path. It's, are you happy? Right, it's enjoying the journey overall. And so one thing that I describe it as is, especially with like younger people, I've got teenage sons, is, look at life like it's a giant video game a lot of ways and everybody's like okay we want to get to the castle and save the princess and get the gold and all that sort of stuff well maybe that's not the object of your particular game mm -hmm. and while you're doing your uh game while you're on this quest there's numerous side quests along the way mm -hmm. you know you might go into the tavern and talk to the weird old man and get the map that you need to get someplace you might uh go into the little um cave and sleep overnight and rest and recharge that's going on vacation you might go someplace and learn some skills that could be taking a, a course whether it's on painting if that's not what you do or a cooking class or your minor in college or the example i always use is steve jobs taking a calligraphy class after he dropped out of college because they interested him and that's where we end up getting all the cool fonts that we now have 
on the Macintosh and yeah. that later went into uh, Microsoft Word. So it is those sort of things. And as Steve Jobs said, it's only looking back, you can collect the dots. But if you're looking at like this is all side quests and different ways to make me a better person or, or give me the relationships or skills or resources I need to ultimately be more successful, then it's even more fun along the journey. Exactly. We all went through 2020. So we just go to 2020. What did we learn in 2020 looking back? Do we learn a new skill? Do we learn how to connect with our family members? Do we mm -hmm. learn how to use Zoom for the first time? We all led to growth to today. When we're going and it's all choices mm -hmm. what you're going to do because are you going to sit there and just watch The Bachelor and eat Cheetos mm -hmm. and put on the COVID-19 and grow your apocalypse beard and live in your pajamas? Or are you going to do something different? So like 2021, I ran my first two ultra marathons of my life and I wrote three books. Perfect. Okay. I also well on pretty far along the path of getting my divorce and all that, which was on the list of not great stuff, but you know, we have a choice. We have lots of choices. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I talk about with people that I coach is that the average person makes around 10,000 micro decisions a day. Mm -hmm. And as Colossus tells Deadpool in Deadpool 2, I'm a big comic book guy, if you couldn't tell. Um, You're perfectly fine. If I was in my office, you'd see all the Thor stuff behind me. Uh, but it's four or five moments. And for a hero, it's four or five big decisions. But for a regular person like us, it's those four or five micro decisions every single day that determine is our arrow pointing down for the day or is it pointing up? You know, are we making the better choices or as we used to say in my fraternity, the less dumb choice? So if you can make those couple of better decisions throughout the day, you end up having a better day and a better week. And ultimately over months and years, you end up in a much better place overall because of those tiny little decisions. And Zeno of Cytium, the founder of Stoicism said, well-being is made up of small choices, but is no small thing. It is those small choices on a regular basis that ultimately determine our outcome. Exactly. The first micro decision we all make, the first thing when we get up, the first 10 seconds of waking up is, are you going to have a good day or are you having a bad day? Yep. And as a special needs father, you know, I see this blatantly with my youngest with autism. You can tell if it's going to be a bad day. And so one of the things that I learned with working with him is if it's going to be a really bad day, I literally put him back into bed and cover him back up. I'm like, we're going to reset the day, buddy. We go like this and we hit the reset button, mm -hmm. takes his glasses off. He climbs back into bed. I cover him back up. I turn the lights out. I walk out. I leave him there for about one or two minutes. I come back in and we literally restart the day. And most of the time it actually works so that yeah. he gets off to a better start. It's about an 80% chance of that working. I have an autism daughter as well. <laughs> so the, that, that is a very common uh, coping mechanisms for autism families. Yep. Let's restart the day. Because and here's the thing. 
for those of us who are normies, as my son calls us, you know, mm -hmm. we're technically neuronormal, even though my friends would never say I'm normal. Well, <laughs> exactly. If, why don't we do it ourselves? Mm -hmm. Why don't we literally put our hand down and stop the bad domino cascade and stop it right there and do what we need to do to hit the reset button for ourselves? Exactly. Whether that's literally walking away from a situation or going outside and walking around the block or just saying, all right, you know what? I need a power nap and closing the door in your office and power napping for two minutes and clearing your mind, you know, meditation, whatever, and then just saying, all right, let's try this again. Exactly. We, this is things that we need coaches to tell us, hey, why don't you do this? It's simple little things. It doesn't cost a lot of money to take a two-minute nap. It doesn't take any money to go close the door for two minutes, take a breath, and restart. Yep. There's things that you can do that cost zero money. And we need to do this because we need to get to the mindset. We have to choose to have a better outcome. Yes. And it comes down to choice. And this is something that uh, I'll disagree with a lot of people, but this is my die in the ditch belief is that we can choose to be better. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of studies that say roughly 50% of your ultimate outcome is genetic based and all that. 50% is your choices. It's much higher than that. It is, it is. the vast majority of your outcome is your decisions day by day. Mm -hmm. And I can give you a perfect example. 2011, I had two strokes and brain surgery. The doctor, medical professional, surgeon, told me I would never walk again. I would never speak English again. And me being paralyzed from on the entire right side of my body would be permanent. Well, if you're watching this video, you see I'm using both hands. Yeah. If you're listening to me, you hear me speak in English. And I walk about two miles a day. So who is right? The expert or, you know, the, it's not necessarily faith. Faith is a component mm -hmm. of the healing. Exactly. It was but it is the vision it, and it is doing the work. I bet that when you were doing your rehab, there were days when you were ready to cry. I was in tears every day, but my goal was to get back to my normal or as close to my normal as I could get. And it took years to get back to that. It wasn't the here's the mountain before me, it's the tiny little steps to get up that mountain. Mm -hmm. And that's choices you have to make every day. I make those choices every day just to get out of the bed. We all do, if we know it or not, we choose how our day's going to be the moment we open our eyes. And too many people choose to give up when it gets tough. So the toddler learning to walk, do they say, oh, this is too difficult. I'm giving up and I'm just going to, you know, crawl for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. No, they don't. They get through it because they want what's on the other side. As Frederick Nietzsche said, if somebody has a strong enough why, they can overcome any how. And your why was so powerful that you went through whatever it took to get through there to get back. Exactly. Now, if we can teach other people, this is why we have this podcast and why we write books and why we do talks. 
we want to teach people to overcome the why or the how with a better why. Why do you want to do this? If you're looking at business, if you're saying, oh, I want to do this business because it was going to make me a lot of money, you're going to fail. If you say, I'm going to build this business because I want to help people, if I want to have a better future for my family, if you, why has to be bigger than what you're doing. Exactly. Like when I was building my financial services career 25 years ago, I wanted to quit every single day. People were hanging up on me. You know, people, I'd write cases and then they would not be accepted. They, you know, it, it was a struggle. And my mom's like, why don't you just go be an, an engineer with your best friend? You know, why don't you go, you know, use your MBA and, you know, go run a company or stuff like that. But I kept doing it because of what I was trying to do. I wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. I could build a career where I would be able to help people. And it was a struggle and there were sleepless nights and there were times when I didn't have a pot to piss in, but I got through it and I kept going and I ended up becoming a four under 40 winner in the industry and writing multiple books and teaching all over the United States and Canada and helping tens of thousands of professionals turn around and help other people. And so I always talk about when you're going in when you're building your career, whatever profession that is, there are really two main components. There is your skill set, which you learn by studying, practicing, all these other things. But the bigger determinant is your will set. And that is what gets you through all the tough times. Because guess what? Tough times are going to happen in all capacities of your life at some point. Mm -hmm. At some point, you're going to have a loved one pass away. There's going to be the job your love is going to close down. You can have all these negative things happen to you. You can be in a relationship and it goes south for whatever reason. Negative things happen, but you're well-powered to get over those negative things is what is going to propel you to the next rung on your ladder. Exactly. And just throwing some numbers around that, three out of four people turning 65 are going to need long-term care assistance. You know, they're going to need people to come on in, be in a facility or whatever. Cancer is so prevalent that somebody close to you is going to die of it at some point in your, in your life. Roughly half of marriages end in divorce in the United States. And that spiked tremendously with COVID. So you are going to have bad stuff happen. Period, case closed. It's not an if, it's actually when and what. So we don't overcome it by avoiding it because that's impossible. That it, it exactly. is inevitable. We don't overcome it by outsourcing it. We overcome it by becoming resilient. And one of the ways of becoming resilient is choosing to do the difficult things when you don't have to, so that you have the reserves for when you have to face it. So in good times with your business, you set aside money so that you have extra in case something happens like, oh, COVID closes everything down or you know, the commodities prices spike like we're going through now or these other things. You know, you bank emotions in the good days so that you have them to draw from in the bad days. You go on out and run in the rain, even though you know it's going to suck because it will make you better 
for when you have to tap into it on a long run or when you're exhausted or the kids puking at three o'clock in the morning or these things that are called life. Yes, we all have to go through life. There's going to be negative and positive. It's how we handle the negative because we can't avoid it. There's no avoiding negative. There okay. is just handling it, overcoming it, and moving on. So, so let's talk about more strategies for that because I think yes. that's something that you know people listening to this might get something mm -hmm. from and I'm certainly getting some good stuff from this so thank you for sharing. Oh of course I, I mean this is one this is why I love this format on this show and you learn so much little nuggets so what is some of the things that we can overcome the negative with? Well, I was going to ask you that because I wanted to hear something. Oh, you wanted to hear me talk. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So overcoming the negative, you have to find a positive line in it. It could be, okay, 2020 happened. I opened a new company. <laughs> Worst time <laughs> in the world to be opening a company, right? During 2020. But it's best business decision because you either shrink or you grow. You have downtime, you're in a negative space. There's a place called edX. It's pairs with universities around the country and it gives you free education. You can learn. Oh yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I, during 2020, I actually took classes from Harvard for constitutional law. Actually have cool. a certificate. I actually have four different certificates where I pass the classes. So it's I paid to be in those classes, but you don't pay the fifty thousand dollars per. Right, class. you don't pay the full thing. Yeah, you pay just for that one class, and it's a lot more discounted, and you get the education. You can find a silver lining. Am I sitting on the couch eating my popcorn today? Or am I getting up and figuring out how to move forward? Is it taking a business class today? Is it taking a law class today? Is it taking time to go from an audio podcast to a video podcast? Is it going to a studio or is it something in my room to, because I can't get to a studio? And right, how do I learn to adapt? Yes. You have to do this every day. I can't go to the gym today. So obviously, because the gyms were locked down 2020. Okay, sure. what can I do at home to continue my gym exercises at home? Right. So like my running team, uh, I run Ragnars, which are 200-ish mile team relay races. Mm -hmm. And all the Ragnars were closed in 2020. So as one of the team members said, we're going to do something stupid. So we won't do some, we're going to do something crazy. So we won't do something stupid. And so we had virtual 5Ks. We did a virtual Ragnar where we were, we were mailing the uh, slap bracelets to the team members back and forth. We did virtual uh, Ragnars where we were calling the other person up. Okay, I'm three minutes out from finishing my run, your turn. We did virtual backyard ultras, which is how I got into doing ultra marathons, was doing them through this and ramping on up. So it is the capacity to say, okay, what is the core important thing here and how do I change it around it so that I can still continue to do that? We saw this with kids' education. 
know, so like my kids are pretty intelligent and I've told them, I'm, I care about your effort and your attitude. So we're like, okay, th these are the things you have to learn for this class. How do we go and find a better way to learn it? What's a more interesting way to do this? Mm -hmm. So we were taking field trips, like literally going to fields and doing all these other things to help supplement or replace what they were getting in class. And it helped make them have a greater appreciation for the learning. And my youngest is autistic, as I said. And so he lost his social worker. He lost, you know, the structure of the class. He lost his Taekwondo class. He lost Cub Scouts for a year. So all these things that were giving him the structure that was really helping him, we had to find some other way to create, reconstruct for him. Mm -hmm. it, that's when you have an autistic child, it's not easy to do that. Mine is now 19. So 2020 wasn't too bad but at mm -hmm. the same time we have friends that have autistic children with, that were elementary school still yep, like so mine. It's, yeah so it's creating that structure you have to do it regardless if you're autistic or neural normal and you have to figure out what works for you we can do classes we can do books we can do talks we can do ted talks we can do all these seminars but until you take a moment for yourself and say, I want to change, how do I change? And what am I willing to do to change? And one of the things that this allowed also was it allowed our kids to be able to develop some of the metacognitive skills is like, okay, buddy, you need to accomplish X. Mm -hmm. How about you help me figure out what's the best way for you to do this? What's going to work for you? And he started learning about his own learning styles. He started learning about what he needed to do to uh, get the socialization that he needed and these other components. And so he became more involved in his own development. Yes. And this is one of those meta skills that's going to carry forward into his adulthood mm -hmm. because he understands himself that much better. And for a lot of us, it took us till we were, you know, in college or even beyond before we took the yeah, time. To I didn't understand myself until 2016. Seriously. I, I, I will admit it. It took me that long to figure myself out. But my daughter, she's learning something because we don't have the social groups that she needs because she's out of school and okay. she's home and not socializing. So it's how do you learn? Well, can we teach you something that will better yourself? You show me what you need to better yourself. And we work things that way. We work things different. And she's actually learning what she wants to do by getting engaged in her own knowledge. Yep. And so that self-actualization is critical because, you know, 30 years from now, when you're not here anymore, she's still going to have to be continuing on that path. Mm -hmm. And exactly. so she's figured it out in a lot of ways. And so like my kids make fun of the fact that, you know, when I'm dead, because, you know, they say that I'm ancient and like, you know, mm -hmm. I used to ride to school on dinosaurs and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. But, you know, they're already determining this and whether it's my supposedly neuronormal kids or my non-neuronormal ones, 
that about what they should be doing to continue to chart their own path out there. exactly it's one we have to prepare for our parents departure none of us want to prepare for it but we do have to mentally prepare for it and then we have to figure out how to continue on after they're not here it's mm-hmm. just losing my dad last year i'm still learning this <laughs> so but at i just, lost my mom from cancer eight years ago and my father's starting to decline at this point so it's like yeah how do I keep alive the memories mm-hmm. from this one? And how do I capture more from this one so that the kids will remember their grandparents exactly better than I remember mine? And so they can carry these lessons forward down the generations. And that's the important things. We have to find policies that work for us as an individual. And I run my life like I do my company because your life is your company. Just to see if you have the mindset that you are in an individual company, how do I make my company succeed? Now you think on a different mindset and you see things totally different from, do I need to learn this or do I want to learn this? Does my company need this to succeed or is this a something I can just like, a company picnic do I actually need a company picnic for myself or to have time off or vacation or whatever or is this this throwing good money or time away exactly and as the CEO who do I need to hire who do I need to bring into my organization mm-hmm. you know my do I need to bring in the CPA who's my legal counsel mm-hmm. to make sure that I'm doing the right things like having my will and health care proxy and all that sort of stuff, you know, taken care of. Hey, if I'm going to enter into a business contract with somebody, I need to have legal review it so that I don't get screwed. Mm-hmm. You know, who do I enter partnerships with? Who do I associate with? And like, is who my, are my mentors? Exactly. So if that's one of the things that I, when I'm talking with younger individuals, you know, people in their getting out of college or in their 20s and 30s, it's like, who is your are your idols? Who are you getting your guidance from? Because real companies, startup companies, fail more often. One of the main reasons is because they're getting bad guidance and advice. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things is if you're mentoring somebody or you have a really good mentor, both m- members of that grow. So I sit on the board of a company, a technology company, and the CEO is 25 years old. He's not your typical 25-year-old. And he and I have long conversations a couple times a week. And my goal is to have one good idea for him every single time. And when I have the one, he's like, okay, you're done for the day. You can leave. But (laughs) (laughs) I started just saying, okay, I'm done. And Mm -hmm. so he's glommed on to that. But I try and give him at least one good idea, but working with him expands my vision, makes me understand things that I didn't understand before, makes me think differently. And so it keeps me in a growth mindset. Exactly. And so even though I'm supposedly the gray-haired wise mentor, I am continuing to learn and develop from that. You're Yoda, but at the same time, Yoda is still learning from one (laughs) Kenobi. I think I got that right. Yeah. 
I, I'm not a Star Wars person, but I know Yoda. Uh, but at the same time, we all have to grow from those around us. Your network is your net worth. Yes. You are the CEO of yourself. You, every good CEO has mentors. Every great CEO has coaches. And the champions want to be coached. So they demand excellence of themselves. They want to be pushed hard. And they don't want people on their team who are not ready to bust hump and practice like it's game seven of the NBA finals because they want to be ready in those situations. That preparation that we were talking about, that resilience, mm -hmm. that's the athlete mentality around it. And the day after the championship, Kobe Bryant actually was training for the next one. Yeah. He said the most depressed he ever got was the day after he won his first championship because he had reached the pinnacle of the mountain. And then he's like, wait a moment. No, I want to be one of the great ones of all time. So mm -hmm. he changed his focus and his training and he kept pushing and pushing. And that's why he ended up winning the championship multiple times. So it's having those people who can see your greatness and push you to it and hold you accountable, like we were talking about previously. And sometimes as the CEO, you need to say, dude, I'm ready to fire you. Mm -hmm. It you doesn't know? matter. You can fire your coaches. You can fire your mentors. You can fire anyone in your company as a CEO, which means you can fire your friends. You don't have to keep the same group of friends you had in high school. You don't have to keep those toxic relationships that may be family in your company. You can yeah. separate. You know, you, we've all got that friend who's a lot of fun, mm -hmm. but leads you into trouble. Mm -hmm. And so we have to minimize the time that we spend around them or even cut them out. Right. We all have that family member that is this toxic. Yep. You don't know how you're related to them. You really don't. Yeah. It's like, did you grow up in the same house as me? Yeah. Did you have it, the same parents? Or uh, Yeah. It's do, do we even have the same bloodline sometimes? It could be a cousin or whatever, but you can cut them out. It's okay. But we are almost out of time. So where can our listeners and our viewers find you, your books and get more insight on you? Okay, so they can find the book all the normal places, you know, online at, you know, the big rainforest place and things like that. They can also uh, get it at the local bookstore, probably if they request it. They can find it at my website, everyday-excellence.com. And that's actually a great place to go because, as I said, five times a week, I put up a microblog. So there's supplemental information there that can just give them that real quick hit. You know, it's like a shot of espresso, actually, I call it a little bit of quick joe to get you going in the morning. Um, on Twitter and Facebook, it's at EDE with Joe. That's at EDE for Everyday Excellence with Joe. And it, they can reach me through the website or directly on Twitter or Facebook if anybody has questions. Now, I'm here to help other people out, so ask away. Awesome. It was so great talking to you today. And Al, this was wonderful. This, this is my last call for the day and this is ending on a high note and you can awesome. see what a big smile i have on my face because awesome. this was wonderful thank you so much you're so welcome and for all of our readers and our listeners happy listening
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.